Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. It's Tuesday, which means it's another opportunity to talk a little bit about systematic theology. I'm Pastor Brian, joined by Pastor Ross Anderson. Ross, today we're in topic 11 of 12, so we're almost there. We can see the finish line, and we're talking for the next couple of weeks about, in in the broader sense, we're talking about eschatology, which is sort of a big systematic theology wor- word, but really it's about the end times. Right. And so today we're going to talk about personal eschatology, which read between the lines, we're going to talk about death. Right. And then next week we're going to talk about eschatology in a broader sense. Yeah, not just death, but what happens after death. Um, what What's the future of individuals is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Because every everything dies, every every organism dies, Human beings are really different and kind of unique because I think of, I mean, I, I assume that out of all of created things, human beings have a consciousness of their own mortality. And so we have this unique ability to reflect upon the trajectory of our life and what comes, you know, at the end of it. And, um, you know, and that's important because biblically decisions that we make in this life are going to have implications in the next life. Yeah, I think this topic's important. Just, you know, there are a lot of men right now. I'm, I'm a middle-aged man, and, and there are a lot of men that I've been talking to and discipling recently who are beginning to experience anxiety. I don't know if you want to call it midlife crisis. I experienced this a couple of years ago myself, where I think young men have this sense of immortality. But there's a point, I think my personal opinion on this is that women deal with this in a in a healthier way yeah, <laughs> over time. Yeah. And I think men sometimes, I know this is true of me and a lot of the guys I'm mentoring right now, are designed to not even think about it. I am immortal. You know, I'll yeah. live forever. Yeah. But at some point you 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 realize I'm not gonna live forever. Yeah. Like death is gonna it comes to everybody and it's gonna come to me. And that's why I think this topic is important because as Christians, when we understand biblically about death, what the Bible does say about death, it actually, it's a gift to us, because it helps us to, to deal with maybe some of that anxiety or that, mm-hmm. that existential dread or the panic that might come, up, come over us when we start thinking about our mortality. Yeah, for sure. And we all do. There's certain, you know, there are trigger events, like you get an injury or you start to feel your body, you know, falling apart, or you start looking at the calendar, you guys, you start thinking about the years ahead more than the years behind in the sense like, oh... You know, I'm more than halfway through, you know. And so it's really good to, to deal with this and understand it because it is a great hope for the believer, but it's also sobering for people who don't know Christ. Well, yeah, because let, let's, be, let's be honest about it. We're not going to just candy coat this. D- death is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Death is not a good thing. We're going to talk about a lot of the good stuff around death, mm-hmm. but let's just be honest. Death is bad. Death wasn't part of God's original plan. That's for, right. For it, it's an it's an interloper, an intruder. Death came into the world because of sin. We know that from uh, Genesis chapter three, from Romans chapter five, um, and so that's you know humans live. Hebrews chapter two tells us that humans live in this captivity to the fear of death, and that's pretty true by and large. You know, around human uh, existence throughout time in all cultures. You know, death is seen as something that's it's an enemy, it's foreign, it's, it's feared. Yet, and here's the good news. The good news, that, so that's true on one hand, but the good news is that Jesus overcame death. 
Right. And that because of that, we also, as Christians, followers of Jesus, and again, this is only for those of you listening who are followers of Jesus. So by the way, this is a good opportunity. If you haven't ever trusted Jesus for salvation, it's a good opportunity to do that. You'll learn why, because we're going to talk today about heaven and hell, mm-hmm. and those are both very real places according to the Bible. Yeah, so Jesus rose from the dead. That's a fundamental key thing about Christianity that we proclaim. And in, when he rose from the dead, you know, he showed that he has power to conquer death, and the Bible tells us that he's the first fruits of all who belong to him are also going to follow in that same experience. We're going to be raised from the dead as well into a new kind of life. Now, here's the thing. Believers are still going to die. We're still going to die. Unless Jesus comes, home, comes back before that time, then the Bible says we'll be translated, we'll be transformed immediately into our eternal state. But... Most of us are going to die at some point, um, but we can face death with peace. In fact, death becomes in a gift to us because it's what ushers us into the presence of Christ. Now, we'll talk maybe a little bit more next time about that little asterisk that, that maybe we won't die if Jesus comes back in our lifetime. And, and most generations have thought that Jesus w- was going to come back in their lifetime, and I'll confess, I've thought that about our generation as well. You look at the signs of the times, you look at all the things that are happening, and this is probably what every generation does. You can say, how could it get worse than this, (laughs) right? Yeah, right. Jesus must be right around the corner, but we don't know. Nobody knows when he's going to come back again. We'll talk more about this next week when we talk about this in general terms. But I do do think it's important that when we're talking about death individually on a personal level, Ross, it's important to introduce this idea that most most casual Christians would not have heard of before, and it's called the intermediate state. What are we talking about when we talk about the intermediate state for Christians? Well, it, it really, we're talking about what happens between the moment that we die until the time when there's a final judgment, we'll talk about that next week, uh, we'll be resurrected, and then we are consigned to our eternal fate. So there's a time period in between, in terms of the flow chart, there's a time period where uh, we're dead, but we're not resurrected yet. Okay, now a lot of Christians haven't probably even thought about this, because they just think, hey, look, when when I die, I mean, you go to a funeral, and and you say they're with Jesus in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's how we all th- we think about it in very simplistic terms. That when I when I die, I'm just with Jesus in heaven. But but what you're suggesting, Ross, is that that actually that there's there might be some kind of intermediate situation going on there because Jesus hasn't returned yet. And we again, we're gonna. It's hard to even talk about this now because we haven't talked about next week's topic. But suffice it to say that. Most Christians, a lot of theologians believe that that there's something that ha- that there's a waiting time. I guess there's right. a waiting time. Yeah, an intermediate. That's why it's called an intermediate state. Now, historically, some have always felt have taught that when you die, you kind of go into a, a some people call it soul sleep. Mm. You you just you, so you're not conscious until the final resurrection, then you wake up from your soul sleep, and suddenly there's Jesus, and it's eternal, and then there's heaven. Um, and that comes from the, the New Testament uses sleep as a euphemism for death. Mm-hmm. It talks about you know um, believers who have fallen asleep. That means he's talking about believers who have died. But most of the New Testament data suggests that we're, we're conscious, 
in the presence of Jesus as as believers uh, before the resurrection. So there is. So it does seem like there is this intermediate state. Our souls, our spirit, our soul is not embodied during that time. So I don't know where you say it's a place because there's no there's no physical uh, reality to our. Our, our existence at that time. Is it a place, where is it, or is it a state um, of being? I, nobody can really answer all those questions. And I like how author Randy Alcorn <clears throat> describes it in his book, Heaven. I encourage people to pick that up if they want to learn more about today's topic and next week as well. He talks about heaven now. I think he says heaven now and heaven later. Hmm. That heaven later is is the end times, what we're going to be talking about next week. Right. That's but but if I remember, he's basically saying if heaven is where God is, then there is you could say there's heaven now, right? Yeah. Because the, the scripture says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yeah, and so that means that you're, there's a sense in which you're in heaven now, but yet it's not the new heavens and the new earth because, right. and therefore the resurrection ha- the resurrect the resurrection of the dead hasn't happened, and we don't have our resurrected bodies again. We're going to get mm-hmm. into all. All this, right. we're confusing pre- people probably right away. But the idea is there's, there seems to be something. I'm trying to put this together on the timeline. There seems to be something that we have to answer for what happens between when I die mm-hmm. and when Jesus comes back. Right, exactly. Not only for the believer, but for the unbeliever as well. Okay, so in, right. And so some people say, well, couldn't that, isn't that what purgatory is? That, you're, it sounds like you're describing purgatory to me. Yeah, no. Pr- the difference is that purgatory... As conceived by the medieval Roman Catholic Church, purgatory is the idea that when a when a Christian dies, they're not ready for heaven yet. They haven't done enough maybe meritorious works to get into heaven or for some reason. So purgatory, as the name suggests, is a time of purging, a time of, of uh, where you can you continue to be sanctified. To talk about a topic from a couple weeks ago, you continue to be sanctified after this life is over until you're fit for heaven. Well, that has a lot of problems theologically because heaven is not a matter of uh, what we do or whether we're worthy of it or not. You know, so the, the idea of purgatory really doesn't really have biblical warrant. Right. And it's not just the Catholic idea. Mormonism has a similar idea that yeah. there's this waiting place where, mm-hmm. where you kind of work, work it out still. Yeah, you can make, still make decisions that affect yeah. your eternity and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And, but the Bible says that it's appointed once for man to die. Yeah, death is the key, not some future yeah. turning point, but death is the key that um, where our fate is then determined. Yeah, it's sealed. Yeah, there's not. We can't. I think it's important for people to hear that. It's there's not going to be some mulligan. There's not going to be another right. chance that you have. You know, the Bible says that that it's only those who trust in Jesus for salvation who are saved, and you have this lifetime to make that decision. Yeah, that's right. That's challenging, but. That's how it is. All right, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But first, mm-hmm. let's Russ, let's talk about this concept of glorification. When we when we glorify something, usually we're talking about glorifying God. Yeah. What does it mean when we apply glorification to human beings? Yeah, the Bible uses this word a lot to talk about the human future condition, and really, it's the last step in salvation. Really, so. We talked early in earlier episodes about how we're called and we're chosen and justified and regenerated and um, you know and then sanctified and ultimately we're glorified. That's the final stage. Now, ultimately, glory only belongs to God. 
he is, you know, unique and he's transcendent. But but when the humans are when human beings are glorified, followers of Christ when they are glorified, then we share in his glory. He 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 bestows some of his glory to us. And by comparison to the mortal life that we live now, um, our our existence will be at a much higher plane, you I guess you could say. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit, maybe if we have a picture of this in the Bible, it, you know, Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the commandments, and he comes down, having been with God, he comes down with, with, with the radiance of God shining mm-hmm. on his face. He had to actually cover his face, right? And so it reminds me in a sense of that God's, God's glory was reflected in Moses, and so at the end of time, all believers are going to be glorified with Christ, right? We're going to receive the glory that's it's not really ours, right. but it's imparted to us by by virtue of the fact that we're united with Christ. And so that's the that's what we're talking about here. We're not we're not saying that we will be God. We're not saying that we'll be exalted to use a word that you hear sometimes. Right. Yeah. We're not going to be gods or or we're not going to be God like. We're not going to become right. gods. We're not you know some of those concepts that we see in some false religions. But, but there's this sense, and we get to share in the glory of Jesus, and it, and it, has, it consists of three aspects. Ross, walk mm-hmm. us through what those are. Yeah, the first one is really encouraging. So in 2 Corinthians 4, it talks about our trials and the difficulties and challenges of living as broken um, in this fallen world. And the encouragement that it gives us is that, you know, the sufferings that we go through now are nothing compared to the glory that one day will be revealed. And so what it is, this idea of glorification, is that it's in contrast, that, 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 our, that our destiny changes so that trials, suffering, difficulty, pain, all those things are gone. And then we live in this different state above all these things. That's number one. And then number two is how is really the ultimate um, end of our sanctification. Our, you could say our souls are glorified in that we ne- then become perfectly, uh, morally and spiritually perfect, free from sin. No more sin affecting us anymore. That, that'll be completely eradicated in our lives. Um, and so that's an encouragement that, again, we'll be at a, kind of living at a different plane morally and spiritually. But it's not just our souls... It's also another part of our existence as human beings. It's our bodies, right? So it's not just mm-hmm. the the immaterial part of us that's glorified. It's also the material part of us that's glorified. Yeah, in our bodies, it says in Philippians 3, will be transformed to be like Jesus' glorified body. And so you know, everything that that you know he's like in his new immortal life, then we'll share in, in, in something like that as well. And again, we'll talk a little bit more about that because our resurrected bodies are not, we won't have our resurrected bodies until, until the last days. We're not going to have that immediately, right, when right. we die. We just talked a little yeah, bit Yeah, I don't that. believe that we will. We'll, have, we'll be resurrected at some point when God brings everything to its culmination. And then at that point, then we enter what you know, we, we call heaven or, or you know, um, the ultimate heaven because God's going to make everything new. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about what the Bible says about heaven, and of course, we, we also need to be honest about what the Bible says about mm-hmm. hell, yeah. because a lot of churches today minimize the idea of hell. They don't minimize the idea of heaven, and, and I think that's a mistake. I think it's important to tell the truth, right, about mm-hmm. both heaven and hell. So what does the Bible say first about heaven? 
Yeah, well, uh, you know, it, first of all, we've been talking about resurrection, but let me clarify um, that at some point, every human being will be resurrected. Both the ones to go to heaven and the ones who go to hell, they um, will experience those experiences within our physical body. That God made us as physical embodied beings, and so that's an ultimate part of our identity, and so ultimately we'll be restored to our body in heaven or in hell. But, but heaven is ultimately where God dwells, the abode of God. Uh, now, God is—here's the thing. God is um, omnipresent. We talked about that a few weeks ago. God is not so God in one sense dwells everywhere, but <clears throat> heaven is like the idea where God's personal presence is unmitigated, where God's personal presence it, there's no filters that keep us from experiencing God in this very in, in this full, complete, and personal way. And, and for believers, then that becomes then the abode of believers into the future as well. Yeah, and let's uh, let's clarify something here, Ross. We're talking, and we'll talk more about this next week. But we're talking about, for now at least, we're talking about heaven later. We're talking about mm-hmm. after the right. final judgment. Yeah. So talk just for a second about that. What do, when we say the final judgment, what what who who is going to go through that judgment? Yeah, that's again. We'll really dig into that next week. But everybody will go through final judgment. Um, and every, uh, believers and non-believers alike, everyone, uh, every human being upon resurrection will have their life examined. And we're going to sh- see next week in detail then that, that um, all of us are going to fail the judgment of our, of our deeds, our actions. But then some will be admitted into heaven because of their um, saving relationship with Jesus. They trusted in him. And so that's what we're talking about with heaven, is every everyone is going to be consigned to either heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. There's no in-between. There's no... Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's th- no like... Third option. Right. Right. So it's either it's either heaven or hell. Again, this is, this is a real sobering topic. It's important. And the Bible is clear on this, that it's, it's the ones who have trusted in Jesus for salvation. If you haven't ever taken our series online called The Pursuit. Make sure to take that series, and in, right in the middle of it, in week six in that series, we talk about how to trust in Jesus for salvation. Mm-hmm. So go through that topic. Yep. If, you're, if you're listening to this with a friend, a Christian friend, or a parent, stop everything and go through that topic, because that's, we're, that's what we're, this isn't just theology. This is where it is very, very real, yeah. is those, those who have trusted Jesus for salvation will, on the basis of Christ's righteousness, will be admitted into heaven. That's what we're talking about with heaven. And then those who haven't are going to be consigned to hell, and we'll talk about that here mm-hmm. in just a second. Yeah. So anyway, back to, back to heaven, yeah. Ross. So, so what, what, what's heaven? What do you think heaven is like, I guess, is a question people are asking? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, that popular culture depictions probably are really missed the mark. Uh, nobody really believes that, you know, heaven is... Um, little cherubs sitting on a, on the clouds plucking harps, um, but you know heaven shows up in a lot of different po- cultural media, movies, and stuff like that. The most the most important feature of heaven is the presence of God. That we'll experience this unfiltered presence of God, like I was saying before. Now a lot of people think of heaven as like, oh, I could eat all the chocolate I want and not get fat. You know, well, it's not really an extension of earthly pleasures. Really, what counts about heaven is two things, but the main thing is that it's the presence of God. 
that we'll, those of us who know him, long for his presence. We long to know Jesus more intimately, and, and yet our, our view of him is clouded by the world that we live in, by our own flesh, and, and so ultimately that will all be removed, and we'll have this, what, what um, writers have, have called the beatific vision. We'll have this beautiful uh, relationship with God. Now, when I, growing up, when I thought of heaven, and I don't know that anyone asked me this, but if you would have asked me this when I was in high school or college, what's heaven like, I would have said it's white, and about that's about it. White, yeah, maybe, maybe gold. Uh, <laughs> yeah, white and gold. And a lot of light. And I, I think it would be, I think I could have just as well been describing a, like a padded room <laughs> that an insane person would go into, right? And yeah. It, it, my, I don't think my vision of heaven was good. I don't think it was accurate. I don't think it was biblical. I don't think it was accurate. Yeah. I thought about it in just these really ethereal terms, right. instead of in terms that are more exciting, I think, that which I think are more biblical to think of it in terms of it is a renewal of creation. It's anything but white. Right, it's it's yeah. as vibrant, you know, yeah. when you when you swim through the ocean and you see just the beauty and the colors and the creativity of all the of all the creatures in the ocean. That's a good picture. It's it's like that, but even better. Yeah, that's a great analogy to see. We man, we love the creation of God, and it's so beautiful now, even in its marred state. So this is the idea of heaven. Really connects the dots in the whole grand story of salvation. So back at the very beginning, God created everything. It was good. It was full of potential. All the potential had not even been developed yet, but it was there. And then, and then after humanity walked away from God and sinned, and heaven was, uh, then, then the earth and the creation was marred by a curse. Well, the picture we get of heaven in the book of Revelation is like a renewal that takes us all the way back to the very beginning. It renews all the things that were great about the creation that God made. So in, in Revelation, it talks about how the curse is removed and creation is restored. And um, you know, actually, the book of Revelation gives us a picture that this heaven is actually a physical place on, and, and on earth. It, the Bible talks about how the earth that we live in is recreated. And, in, and glorified itself. So God didn't say, I'm going to make this earth, you live on it, someday I'm going to throw it away. No, he said, God said, I'm going to make it all new, and it becomes the abode of humanity for eternity. So, have, so creation comes full circle, and it's fully restored again, so that all the beauty and everything, only, only without the curse and without sin, will be um, our experience. Yeah, so then the question I think people ask is, will, will, there, will I know people there? Will, and this, again, this was another example of something that I think I had a misunderstanding of, because the Bible says there's no marrying or giving, giving in marriage, and I think a lot of Christians have extended that to say, okay, I'm not going to know my spouse. I'm not going to know my kids. I'm not going to have relationships, because it's just about me and Jesus. Yeah. And I think, you're, I think you're missing the point there. That it's almost like that assumes that relationships are bad. Yeah, or that they're inconsequential. Yeah. yeah. The relationships, again, we talked about last week how relationships with other believers are really part of salvation, part of our salvation heritage or legacy. And so, you know, that's going to happen too. So you have some biblical data points where, like, uh, Moses and Elijah came and appeared with Jesus to some of the disciples, and they were recognizable. You know, I don't know how they knew what Moses looked like or whatever, but they knew that, that, that they knew that's who these guys were. And so they, the, the Moses and Elijah, as in 
you know, past death retained their their identity. They retained. I mean, I don't know. I'd like to look better in the next life, maybe. But <laughs> maybe I'll shed a few pounds. But I want some um, hair in the next yeah, life. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe uh, maybe that's you just look the way God made you to look. I don't know. But the point is that people are recognizable. Yeah. And, and so we'll have perfect knowledge because in in First Corinthians thir- twelve and thirteen it says that you know. Um, right now, we only know in part. One day, we'll know fully. And so the spiritual gifts of, that help us to know more uh, won't be needed anymore, it says, because we'll, be, we'll, we'll, be, we'll know Christ fully, we'll know God fully, and I think that might extend to other things as well. Well, yeah, and to me, it makes sense when Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't make sense that, that loving others would not be included in our, which includes, to me, which includes when you say perfect knowledge of God and Jesus, mm-hmm. it's also not, you know, knowledge, perfect knowledge in relationship with God and Jesus, according to Jesus, should extend then into knowing and loving the people around us, because mm-hmm. that matters to God. That's a great point. And so relationships, and have, when again, people say, but, I, but I, I'm not going to know my wife, or I'm not, I don't think the Bible says you're not going to know your wife. What it does say is there is no marrying or giving in marriage, which right. to me makes makes when I try to make sense of it. Ross, you've been married twice, mm-hmm. right? So yep. who would you be married to in heaven, right? <laughs> it do, to me it doesn't make sense that marriage would exist in heaven the way it does here, but that doesn't mean. I think for us as human beings, we say, okay, I don't want to. Then it's it's going to be less than what I have here. Yeah, and that would be a mistake. That would yeah. what for sure is it's going to be more than what you have here. Right. But it but it isn't going to include the institution of marriage the way we think of it now. Right. And so my relationship with with my wife and now and my my wife who passed away ten years ago, um, that'll be perfected. No sin. No whatever. Right. But it won't be it won't be limited by the institution of marriage. We'll both be relating to Jesus together. Um, yeah. So again, I think it's easy to make an error to take to take what we think is the best things of this world and and just extrapolate them um, into heaven as if heaven was really nothing more than this world perfected. Mm-hmm. Now, so in a sense, that those relationships are perfected, but not in the same way that they are in this in this life today. But I think one of the things that um, Christians are most encouraged about why heaven is, is really such a hope for us is that the, the Bible depicts it as a place where the old order of things is passed away, where all the things that are jacked up and messed up about this life, this world, uh, will no longer, they'll no longer be injustice, they'll no longer be, it says, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. All the things that we suffer in this life, all of that will be removed in that, in that future life. Okay, let's talk about three more quick things about, about what heaven is really going to be like. The Bible talks about Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about including rest, right? So what, is, what does that mean when the Bible says that we'll find our rest? It, we even use it in our language today, rest, may he rest in peace, rip. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually biblical yeah, yeah. for a Christian, yeah. right? What do we mean by rest? Yeah, so this life is a, is a, is a struggle. Um, this life is full of challenges and um, setbacks and obstacles, and, and especially as Christians, because we're swimming upstream against the world and the flesh and, and the devil. And so um, at one point in time, then, someday we're looking forward to our ultimate rest, 
Um, Hebrews talks about it like a Sabbath. Only the Sabbath, you know, is is permanent. It's ultimate. So we're going to be able to lay our weapons of warfare, in a sense, spiritually down, and lay down the troubles and trials of this world, and um, just you know, take a deep breath. Okay, but second, and this relates to the opposite of rest. This relates to work. It's the Bible says that that original mandate given to humanity in in Genesis one twenty six is going to be fulfilled. So there that we're going to subdue and draw forth the latent potential from God's creation. So again, to me, that sounds like the opposite of rest. And we've talked before, Ross, about how there is, work isn't bad, mm-hmm. right? That there's still going to be some work. So what is what does that look like? In yeah, heaven? work is so in the Garden of Eden. If you take it back there, God gave Adam meaningful work to tend and care and nurture the garden. It's only when sin entered the world that work became toil. You know, work became like a drag, a drudge. It became difficult. I mean, so all of us have times where we get in the zone, we're working on something, and and it's just enriching and fulfilling, and we're like, oh man, I didn't even know that I just spent three hours and it's gone, because we were so engaged in that uh, in that activity. So God made us with this this level of creativity and level of purposefulness, and so I personally believe that if um, in heaven it restores the original creation, then it makes sense to me that the original creation mandate that God gave us to subdue the earth, and and I think that part of what that means is to draw out and develop all the latent potential that's in God's creation. So we become co-creators or sub-creators under him, and and we learn how to make it all uh, be more beautiful and how to how to learn new technologies and how we did discover like you know we could, we'll figure out quantum mechanics and things like that uh, because we'll have an opportunity to interact and engage with this renewed creation. Okay, so so that's rest and work, and then third, we're going to call it worship because there are pictures in Revelation about not just us, not just Christians, but angelic beings right. and other creatures surrounding the throne of God worshiping him which is the which is probably the only thing the only picture i had growing up is that mm-hmm. we'd be worshiping him and and that is true we yeah, are going to worship that him that is true and you know and so we're so we're so caught up the picture we see in revelation is so caught up in the glory and the grandeur of god and in what and what jesus has done for us you look at the songs that the that the heavenly beings are singing in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, it's like, oh, wow, they're so focused on uh, how amazing God is and, how, and Jesus and what they've done for us that uh, it just, boom, it, it fills the heart of all of these created beings to want to just extol God all the time. With that. Now, I don't know, today, in, in this fallen world we live in today, um, a lot of people are tired of worship after a few minutes, <laughs> So we're, yeah, right. they may be wondering, like, how can I have, like, oh, I got to sing another song? But I think that, again, minimizes the idea that we'll be so blown away by this sort of unfiltered presence of God. Yeah, and I guess we, you know, we've, at least I have, probably a lot of listeners have had glimpses of that here on mm-hmm. earth, where you're just, you feel so connected to God, whether it's in a worship service, at a concert, even just in your own in your own prayer closet, I know for me, I've, there have been many times where I've just I've felt such a connection. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's very very momentary. It's fleeting. Right? Yeah. It's very fleeting. Yeah. And I wish it wasn't, and it won't be in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, all right. So that's heaven. Now 
let's let's finish today, Ross, by talking about hell because I think modern culture, you know, The Simpsons or whatever, you they the depiction of hell is it's it's where it's with all the people who they're not that straight laced like they just want to party with Satan. Like, right. Okay, you nerdy singers can go worship God in heaven and that's fine. We don't even like that anyway. It's like we didn't even want to go to church. We're going to hang out and party with Satan in hell and do whatever we want. Is right. that the right picture? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's so uh, minimizes the seriousness of hell because hell is it's really a place of divine punishment and retribution uh, on on sin because God is holy. God is perfectly righteous. God is the judge of the of the universe. He set up the conditions of justice there based on his own character. And so um, everybody who's ever violated um, his holiness or violated his law, you know, is subject to punishment. And so, you know, you know, instead of it, you think about, I've never heard somebody say, oh, I can't wait to go to prison because all my friends will be there and we'll just party all day long. No, that, that's, that's, hell is a horror, is a, is a horrible experience. Yeah, here's some images employed from Scripture to describe hell. Jesus himself describes it as eternal fire, outer darkness, eternal punishment. The Bible also in Revelation talks about unending torment. It talks about the bottomless abyss or a fiery lake. And again, this isn't, you know, there was a there was a time in American Christianity where you know hellfire and brimstone preachers would say things like this, and we don't tend to hear this in our churches anymore. At least not in the main churches that people yeah. go to, the mega churches or whatever. Even in our church, we don't really talk a lot about this. But the but Jesus did. Yeah, Jesus talked a lot about it, um, and always in a context of making sure that people understood their accountability for for their response to him. So it's not like, the heart of God is not like, okay, I'm so delighted I get to like snuff you for eternity and make you, you know, God's not like the kid with the magnifying glass trying to burn the little ants, um, but he's holy. And so there has to be a, a recompense. And, and if God wasn't just, if God didn't punish sin, then we'd all we go ultimately would say, well, what God doesn't deserve to be worshipped or doesn't deserve to rule the universe. And so, you know, it's a sobering reality, but it does really make sense. Yeah, Revelation 21 calls calls hell the second death. What is what does John mean by that when he calls it the second death? What's the first death, I guess, is the yeah. question. Well, the first death is physical death, where we're separated from our bodies. Um, so the, the idea of the second death is we're separated from God. There, so we talk about death physically, we talk about death spiritually. So the spiritual death means, look, um, you know, that then, then we enter into whatever state we are in, into this, this final state that is irrevocable. So, so is, is God not present in hell then? That's what a lot of people think, is hell is the absence of God, that God is not present there. So then... Would that mean that God is not omnipresent? Yeah, that does bump against uh, up against our idea of God's omnipresence. I, the way I've heard it framed that made a lot of sense to me is to say, yes, God is present in hell. He's not present to bless. He's present to punish. He's present to exercise justice. And so, you know, so that doesn't mean that, you know, hell, it, 
we, in the sense that God's not in hell, we think, you know, no, he's not there in the sense of having um, loving relationship and gracious, uh, blessed relationship with people. No, he's there as the, the warden, I guess you could say. So Ross, is hell a physical place, or is it a, or is it just a spiritual place, or just a concept or an idea? Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of the depictions that you mentioned, some of the things about the fire and the, uh, it talks about the worm never dies, or some of those things do seem to be metaphorical. The way are they? Is it literally sulfur? Uh, maybe it is, but. Some of them seem metaphorical to talk about a, a horrible torment. But on the other hand, we know that the people who are consigned to hell are in a resurrected body. And so there has to be some kind of physicality. There has to be some place that three-dimensional bodies have to occupy. So I think it's kind of maybe both and. Now, there's, there's sort of a movement. I don't know if this is only a new movement. Maybe it's always been like this throughout human, throughout Christian history. But there certainly is a movement today among churches, and some of these some of these pastors are pretty popular, where they're minimizing the idea of hell. What are what are those what are those teachers teaching, and is it biblical, or are they just soft peddling stuff? Are they just are they just kind of bowing to the world to try to make God look not so mean? Yeah, I don't I don't know anybody's individual's motives, but. Um, you know, hell is a hard thing to talk about because, um, you know, it doesn't feel compassionate. It doesn't, you know, feel like, oh, a, ni- a nice God would send people to hell. Um, a just God would, a holy God would, but, but we, you know, we think of God... I mean, if you care about people, you don't want to think about them in these terms. And so some of it, I th- I'm sure, is motivated by compassion, um, but but compassion also has to be rooted in reality. You know, I don't want my my doctor to hold back the cancer diagnosis that I have because he doesn't want to hurt my feelings. I want to know how to deal with it, right? So I think some of it is is our age in our culture. We don't like to talk about uh, people in those terms. We don't like to think that people are ultimately accountable. Um, we like to think that people are basically good. And so, you know, I think there's a certain amount of compassion, a certain amount of cultural accommodation that, that feeds into that. Yeah, so why don't we finish today's episode just on a real practical note for Christians who are listening to this. You know, we've been talking about death and heaven and hell. So how, Ross, how would you recommend that a Christian maybe broach the subject with a neighbor or a coworker or someone that they've been trying to share Jesus with. They've been trying to, you know, maybe they've been inviting them to church or, or whatever, and they come to a topic like this, or maybe there's a death in the family. How do you, how do you walk that line where you talk about, where you talk about the reality of this, um, but you're not, you're not, um, so mean spirited or or um, fire and brimstony with your yeah, language. Yeah, that's challenging because you know if you come on strong in a moment like that, then you know you could really uh, you could really turn somebody off and turn them away because they don't have a chance to explore the whole context, of God's nature, and that's a number of conversations maybe that would have to be had. I have to say, so when someone comes to me and their and their grandma died and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's fair and honest to say, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know your grandma. Right. Probably true. 
Um, so I don't know where she stands with God, but I do know this. I know, I know God is both merciful and he's just. And so I, I know that God's going to do the right thing. You know, um, God is both merciful and just, and yet all of us are accountable. All of us are going to stand before God one day and give an account uh, for what we've done with the opportunity that we had with, uh, to trust Jesus for our sins. And so, you know, I can't tell you what, whether your grandma is in heaven or hell, mm-hmm. um, but I know that God's going to do what's right. Yeah, so Ross, that's 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 the example I was going to bring up. You know, you're you're at work with somebody, and they say, "But he's in a better place, right?" So I'm I'm sure some Christians are saying, "Well, shouldn't I speak the truth and say, no, no, she's not? How do you know Grandma's in a better place?" <laughs> right? I could see some Christians doing that, just being a little bit forward. You know, I want to tell the truth. You know, if I was a doctor, I'd tell you if you had cancer. And nope, I don't think you're. So what you're saying, and I would agree with you, what, what we're saying is, I don't think, you don't know their grandma. Now, maybe you, you say, well, I've heard stories, though, and I know, but you don't, you don't know how, what I, and this is what, how I handle memorials or funerals yeah. in a situation like this. If, if chances are pretty good that they weren't a Christian, I'm not going to get up there and say, you know, poor grandma is in hell now. I, yeah. I think there's a there's a way to walk that line right. where you're sharing the gospel, but you're keeping the door open for some right. hope there. I'm not going to eulogize grandma into heaven, yeah. you know, just to give false hope. Correct, correct. But what usually, in a, and it's when I'm in a situation like that and I'm in a memorial service, then I'll say, I will say, this is your opportunity to think about your eternal future. Right. Do you know, are you right with God? You know, um, and so I can share the gospel because in some ways it's, you know, Grandma doesn't have another chance. You know, she's, she is, it, the reality is for her what it is. But for you who are here listening, you know, you, your, your future still lies ahead of you, and you're still in this life, so you have an opportunity to consider what you're going to do with, with Jesus in your life. All right, Ross, one more question. For the person who's listened to this, and they're disappointed, right? It's a Christian, maybe a person who grew up in the church, and they've never really given heaven and hell a thought, in particular hell. What do, what do you say to the Christian who listens to this and, and now struggles and now says, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I can follow a God who can send people to hell? What do you say to the person who's struggling with their... Because I know there are a lot of Christians in today's world that, that would say that. And I know there are a lot of Christians that have bailed on their faith, and mm-hmm. this was one of the issues. They just say, I can't, I can't get behind a God who would send people to hell. What's your answer to that person who's struggling? Yeah, I, would, I, would, I, would, I usually start in that conversation with the most extreme examples and then move my way down the, down, the, uh, down the spectrum to us. So I'll start with, say, you know, I say, I, I don't know if I could follow a God who would not send Adolf Hitler to hell. Oh, and everybody's going to agree with that. So, right. yeah, Adolf Hitler does belong in hell. But, okay, so move the line from evil to good, move it one millimeter. Okay, so I've got Joseph Goebbels or whatever. <laughs> you know, move it another millimeter. At what point in time do you get down the line where that person who is, 
you know, uh, one degree less evil or one degree more righteous, where do you draw the line where now suddenly they qualify for heaven and they don't? You know, and you keep moving it down, like, to me, then, then what, why do I qualify for heaven and not hell, and the guy who's immediately to my right doesn't, you know, or immediately one degree to his right? So, so it becomes problematic to say, oh, I can, dis- I can determine who really is evil enough for hell and who isn't. That, that's one of the of ways I try to help people think about, um, you know, we all recognize that, we, that God, if he wasn't holy and righteous enough to send Adolf Hitler to hell, that I wouldn't want to have anything to do with him. Well, ultimately, it's a matter of degree, and um, at some point, the argument applies to every human being. That's good. And I would encourage the person who might be in that in that mind space to say, you know, maybe you just need to be honest with God about it and say, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And I think it's fair to say, I don't, I'm, I am having a hard time understanding the justice of God, mm-hmm. but I, but I am not having a hard time understanding the love of God. You know, our finite minds can't fully grasp it. How they, the intersection of the, the love and the justice of God, except that we know that they intersect at the foot of the cross, that, that Jesus answered, Jesus expressed the love of God to us when he went to the cross, and he satisfied the wrath of God and the justice of God on our behalf. And so I would just encourage people who maybe are struggling with that, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Continue to think about this, continue to consider this, but just recognize that, that we, we need to look to God and his word for everything. Mm-hmm. And that at, for me, at the end of the day, I would say, I appreciate your approach to that person, but I would also say to that person, look, you're not God. Yeah, it's great. He's it's God. True. You're not. Mm-hmm. So at, if that really is your stance, then you're, you're not willing to come to God on his terms. You're only, right. you're only willing to come to God on your terms. Because yeah. the heaven and hell issue is just one of them. There are a lot of other issues in our culture that the world is trying to pull us away to think differently about, that we have to go to God's Word and say, I'm going to submit to God's Word. I'm not yep. going to understand it all, and this is one of those examples, but there are a lot of other examples yeah. when it comes to cultural stuff or some of the progressivism that's creeped mm-hmm. into the church. Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I would just challenge you, young Christian, or you, don't, you might not be young even, I would just challenge you to, to come to God on His terms. You're, don't, don't try to play God. That's God's job. It's not our job to play God. It's our job to understand what his word says about it and to try to represent it to the people around us as faithful as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. All right. So next week, Ross, we're finishing up our, our 12 weeks in systematic theology. And today we talked about personal eschatology, what happens at death, heaven, and hell. Next week, and we've been hinting toward this already, but next week we're going we're gonna to wrap it up by talking about the broader sense of eschatology. What is the end of the world going to look like? Mm-hmm. And, and how does all of that stuff play out? Um, and how will it play out? And what yeah. are the options for us? Yeah, so good. join us next week. And again, if you want to talk about any of this with your family, your small group, or your mentor, you can find it all at pursuegod.org forward slash sistheo. And join us next Tuesday for week number 12.